Welcome back. And thanks for sticking with us as I know we've traversed some challenging waters. But here, in part three, there are some amazing turns as we bring Emily's story into the present. It's not all smooth sailing, but trust me, it's worth listening. And at the start, the story picks up back in Los Angeles, where Emily is at her wit's end, but then connects with a doctor who serves as a critical link to a very unique program at the Mayo Clinic. As always, thanks for listening. So what happened was I was seeing Dr. Wallace, this physician who had his own private lupus clinic, but I should say he does everything on a sliding scale. He mm. was an amazing human being and is really changing some women's lives. Like people travel all over the world to see him. And mm. I just had the luck of running into him and I didn't even have lupus. It turns out he was very straightforward and he's like, sometimes we're given shit luck and this happens and or I mean, he says it more eloquently than that, but we're going to try and make your life as livable as possible or figure out what's going on here. Your sounds like lupus, your sounds like MS, but I think you might also have something else. And I'm not sure what that is. And at this um, point, do you have, at some point you switched over to your own insurance, right? Yeah. So at this point I'm on the Affordable Care Act. Okay. It saved my life. Absolutely. If we had not had a president I mean, there's a number of factors that came into saving my life. One of them is that we had a president who was interested in helping individuals truly and realizing that healthcare is a human right and that we deserve more. The ACA, the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, under Obama is very different than what we experience now under President Trump. Mm -hmm. And granted, I was paying a lot of money for my health care at that time. Because of where you lived or because of your pre-existing conditions or the um, level of care? Pre-existing conditions were essentially wiped out as a scenario under Mm -hmm. Obama, thankfully, Mm -hmm. because I would have been... I mean, I am like a pre-existing condition on top of pre-existing condition. I could never have gotten health care if it wasn't because of the ACA. It was expensive because I was sick. And I signed up for healthcare that was the best healthcare, and I didn't understand how to do it myself. The California healthcare system, they, they had Covered California, which is a totally, it's like the ACA and Obamacare, but mm-hmm. the website is totally different than healthcare.gov. So I was it's really. Like the state portal for yeah, the state portal. system. Yeah. Right covered California but it also covered I think food stamps for people who needed them and Mm. so it was like all wrapped under one umbrella but I didn't really have the support or the help in California to be doing that uh, properly so I was accidentally paying lots of money for a number of months but it actually was way less than what I would have to be paying anyways to doctors Mm. so it was still a quote-unquote bargain so I think I was paying like $330 a month for the best healthcare imaginable And then eventually I met with someone who was provided to me as a service who did my taxes. As a service, they had someone who was like a healthcare advisor. And she was like, you're paying way too much. You don't make that much money. (laughs) She did the number crunching. She's like, you should only be paying $87 a month for the exact same care that you're getting right now. How is it that someone who does your taxes is also linked to a healthcare advisor? It seems like a funny... Well, your health... How much you were... Uh, making a year it dictates how much you pay for health insurance. That's very true. Actually, it makes a lot of sense. The experience of going through that in New York, I feel like those are 
two like separate things, but it is, it's all tied in together. Yeah, it really is. Or it should be, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I'm of the mindset, if you don't make a ton of money, I don't think you should still die from cancer Mm -hmm. just because you don't make a ton of money. But some people now clearly do not believe that (laughs) because it's a totally different system. It's still the quote unquote ACA, but it's been absolutely gutted. It is a freak turn of events that during that time when I was seeing Dr. Wallace and this lupus specialist in Los Angeles, I was under the umbrella of the ACA under Obama. People online were like, oh my God, I'm going to have a life again. There's a difference between a sister and a broker and an agent, I should note. If you need help getting certain insurance through Mm -hmm. the ACA, there are certain people that can help you. And a sister is through a public enterprise, they have no connection to a healthcare agency, so they have no benefit. They're fully trained, vetted, so on and so forth. Who are they paid by? I'm assuming the government. Mm -hmm. I like that it's an assister, but it sounds like a sister. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. I know. She was a woman. Give me a sister. She was amazing. She just like broke out her calculator. It was like, boop, 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 $87, same thing. And I was Mm like, fuck, (laughs) could have used that extra money. Yeah. But yeah, and then there's agent brokers who are privately funded by healthcare agencies. Are they, is this something that is nationwide or is it specific to yes, California? Yes, nationwide. Nationwide. Yeah. So the link that we'll provide is Yeah, for... we'll provide, so, and you can type in your zip code and you can get a local person and they'll say a sister and then it'll say agent or broker. But obviously I would highly recommend going with a sister because they're not supposed to have any they're ties. Impartial. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Wallace, I emailed him one day because my uh, partner who I've been dating for seven years left me for another woman and I was not physically capable of taking care of myself Mm -hmm. and I emailed him and I thought I was at the end of my rope because I was like, I don't know what else to do and he goes, I don't know what you have, I don't think it's lupus, I I really don't think it's MS, but I think you should go to the Mayo Clinic and here's information and I'm going to write you a, you have to get a recommendation in order to get there, uh, to get in to see the specific set of doctors who sit down and look at your program and they only, they get like thousands of applications a day and they only accept a certain number of people who are serious, what is going on clients a certain number like hundreds a I certain don't, i don't know but the system they have there is so regimented and well done it's unbelievable there's three in the country right yeah there's one in i think arizona florida and i went to the one in minnesota which is like the main hub mm-hmm. my mom brings me out there for a week because i couldn't physically get there at this point i'm living in massachusetts my mom and my sister flew out to Los Angeles and packed up all my stuff. So this is the second time it was like after you'd been in New York and there had been a period where you had come back to try to recalibrate and yeah. regroup. And, and that they were my saving grace. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of thinking about the concept idea of home. And yeah. I know we're talking about healthcare as this fundamental need, but coming back to this seriously idea of shelter and having that. My shelter is wherever they are. Yeah. Like my, my sense of home and home means security mm-hmm. and like how you're able to survive is 100% them. I'm mm-hmm. very lucky. The majority of people don't have this type of support. Mm-hmm. 
human beings in general, but then also just human beings who are enduring misdiagnoses and errors here and there in the medical system. We were flying to Chicago from Boston. We had a week of intensive testing of the most bizarre testing you could ever imagine, like sweat boxes, poking, prodding, electrocuting me with like small currents, just like the craziest stuff I had never experienced before in my entire life. Were you in a sensory deprivation chamber? Uh, no. Mm. That would have been amazing, yeah, actually, right? right? I imagine. Maybe that's the thing you go to like after. When Seriously. <laughs> no, after like getting a <laughs> mild electric electrocutions being sent through your legs <laughs> yeah. to see if your nerves react. I'm like, yep, feel it. <laughs> there was this one where they put these like hot sensor on me and they go, let us know when it's really burning and I go okay <laughs> but getting out to the Mayo Clinic for that first week I get to Logan and it was in the middle of the dead of winter and my so this mom this is a year ago this is a year ago mm -hmm. from now yeah and my mom is with me we get to Logan and they go your flight has been canceled from Chicago to Rochester Minnesota oh my god and I started bawling my eyes out Logan they go are you going to the Mayo Clinic and I was like yes and they're like okay we're gonna get you to Chicago and then we're gonna try and figure I mean it was like a shitstorm, but basically what happened was that my mom and I rented an SUV and drove through the night from Chicago to Rochester in like a whiteout snowstorm wow in order to get there by 9 a.m. I mean there's only so many slots and they gave one to me immediately because they were like something is going on and we don't mm -hmm. know what it is and it seems kind of serious and at that point when you were Say when you're at the airport, in terms of what you're experiencing physically, are you... A little bit of adrenaline, but I'm walking with a cane yeah. and I'm barely hanging on. Mm -hmm. When I got on the plane from LA, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever make it back here because I thought I was dying. Mm -hmm. But the Mayo Clinic, everyone there was so unbelievable. And like, I mean, like Minnesota, so fucking sweet there. Sorry, so sweet there. <laughs> at the end of the week, to make a long story short, they say, we've done all this testing. This neurologist who has a very thick German accent. Mm -hmm. She was like, you essentially have a damaged nervous system. And the thing is, is that there isn't a lot you can do for it, but there's this thing where you come back out here for a month and we're gonna try and retrain your nervous system. Kind of like class, but you're working with doctors, physical therapists, occupational therapists, your own pharmacist, everything for eight hours a day for over a month. It's an opportunity to reset your life. Because Mayo Clinic, you know, I think internationally is referenced as one of the... Best hospitals in the world. Right. Yeah. So you have an opportunity to... It wasn't... She was like, it's not going to go away. Right. And that was crushing. Yeah. But she was like, but we're going to try our best to make your life better. We have a very high success rate. We work really hard with insurance companies to make sure that people get admitted, regardless of your insurance. They did, they worked with my insurance company and streamlined through. I went back and I, I lived at the Mayo Clinic for an entire month and worked with doctors for eight hours a day. And I retrained my nervous system. So at that point you're there with a cohort of this group of people. Oh my that God, are all it was so from... weird. It was so weird. And how large of a Every day new people would come in mm -hmm. and then every day some people would quote unquote graduate. And she told me, she's like, one of the best things is that you'll come in and the people who are just about to leave will be like, I look just like you when I came in here. Some people come in with wheelchairs and they walk out at the end of the month. And some people end up staying several months to be honest, but mm -hmm. they try and keep you for just a month and then see where you go from there. And I walked in with a cane, was in rough shape. I looked like I had 
died and barely come back to life. I remember I was sitting next to this woman named Julie and we both looked at each other and we're just like, hey. But we both graduated on the same day and we did it. And it was life-saving. How do you celebrate that kind of graduation? You just start living. (laughs) You just have a life again. every once in a while but I like was very regimented we did exercises repeatedly we did occupational therapy they taught us how to maneuver our bodies so that we're not overstressing ourselves in certain circumstances they go over medication assess what you do for a job and if that's a good idea when you get out then talking about your career and how do they respond to that I mean it's interesting because if you talk to anyone about being an artist they're just like okay that's nice they're like, so do you like to paint? Not to sound like a shithead, but it's it's on a whole other level when you're a trained and you went to get your master's degree. You aspire to have artwork in institutions or to really have a profound effect on the public. Part of it, I was just, yeah, I just want to be a graphic designer, do some painting, because I just know that they're not fully going to accept some of those things unless mm-hmm. they've been trained in our profession. Everyone knows that. So... To some degree, I kept it at that. I can imagine, too, in that conversation, there are certain things that, you, that you're taking very seriously in terms of how you should live moving forward, but then there are certain parts that I would think maybe like taking with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, some of these things will work for you, some of these things won't work right. for you, and so you have to develop your own plan. Right. But they're like, but you have to be very regimented, and you need to keep your stress level low, and you need to make sure that you're really moving forward, and I did that. I'm capable of working more than a full-time job now. I'm a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, mm-hmm. um, granted adjunct at the moment, but still professor. Well, I mean, you can argue. I mean, adjunct is very, a very stressful workload in terms it of is. balancing. It is, but I, I learned a way to manage my stress and how I've developed a way of making my curriculum a certain way. I totally changed my life. making sure that you surround yourself with people who are supportive and aren't just rolling their eyes at you. But majority of people don't make it this way. There's there's not enough pain management on this level throughout the United States. And now we have a massive opioid epidemic. And we learned a ton about medications, about understanding opioids, and a lot of people were getting off of them there because they did not allow them. They were like, it's not a long-term solution. They showed us the stats on those. And also a lot of these things like muscle relaxers and opioids, there's been a number of deaths just recently. People keeling over from accidentally mixing a benzodiazepine with a muscle relaxer with an opioid or something, and it takes nothing at all. I almost accidentally overdosed when I was in Pasadena because I was prescribed by two separate doctors, a muscle relaxer, and an opioid at the same time. I needed them for the Mm -hmm. exact same scenario. And I remember laying there and my heart was slowing down and I was like, holy crap, I'm dying. And then it miraculously started coming back. Yeah. We don't have enough education in the United States about how easy it is, unfortunately. Sometimes you have to recognize that you're not gonna be fixed. Right. Which is the biggest thing that I learned at the Mayo Clinic and was one of the greatest lessons is that 
I live with chronic pain now, though I have reduced it to some degree and that I've retrained my nervous system, but that I am not going to be fixed. And there was a point in that month that I accepted that and my life became way better. That I was not so stressed out about being fixed again mm -hmm. and being like, you know what? I'm just going to make the best I can because this is my body and you cannot leave your body. You can, technically, you can commit suicide, but I, that was not an option for me. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like there was a point where you were on the verge of or had Definitely. given up? Mm. Yeah. And I just couldn't imagine putting my mom through that or my sister. Yeah, the people that had been your champions, yeah. your core, yeah. And your, your home, essentially. My home. And the um, majority of people do not have that, or they think that they don't care. Mm -hmm. that they would be there, which is why they commit suicide, which is why it's so important. You have to have great health care. You have to have a support network because you can't quite, if you're really sick, you can't quite do it all by yourself. Mm -hmm. Some people miraculously do. I don't know how. I, I definitely couldn't. I mean, I couldn't physically get to Mayo Clinic by myself. I would have gone up to the people to check in and forgotten where I was going. Yeah, but there were other times where I felt like you were also in situations that looking back, you're like, I don't know how I did that, but yeah, it's true But you did. So yeah. there were a lot of situations that yeah, pushing the boundaries of it's like a, what was trifecta of like the perfect scenarios have to happen in order for someone to survive something like this. Yeah. And I had that. Well, and I was thinking too earlier about Dr. Wallace. The and, lupus specialist yeah. in Los Angeles. And how he was saying sometimes you just have essentially shit luck. Yeah. And you're dealt this hand where you have to deal with these things. But I think it goes both ways. You did have that. But on the flip side, you know, the fact that you had your mom and your sister, but then you also encountered these people that then were key and absolutely linking you up to these things that then were life-saving like so. the grant i got i applied and won a grant through the women's center for creative work in los angeles which that was another part of the quote-unquote trifecta moment i won a, a health grant for creative people mm -hmm. um, where you applied and you needed a, an emergency funding situation and i did i had amassed a lot of medical bills and I didn't have the proper equipment to help me actually articulate through the world. I thought I was moving to the point of needing those arm braces, the crutch type things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have like the proper cane and all that stuff. And I won the grant and I just wrote, it was very brief. I mean, you submitted your artwork mm -hmm. and you told them what it was. And I was like, I'm undiagnosed, so I'm sorry. I don't have like a proper thing to tell you is going on, but I'm very sick. And they sent me the grant and was like, one of the reasons why we picked you is because you are undiagnosed, recognize that this is a really big problem amongst females too, young females, especially mm -hmm. just someone validating me that what I was feeling was real. That in itself was life-saving. Also, I didn't have to declare bankruptcy. I had to, I got to pay off some of my medical bills. I didn't have to ruin my credit as a result of that, which is a serious problem in the United States. I know. I know. There's so many people that end up declaring bankruptcy because of... Yeah, and that doesn't happen in majority of other countries. I don't think that you should have to not be able to buy a home in the future because you had cancer. 
everyone who's listening to this should fucking run for legislation. I mean, we need to change this. This is not okay. Yeah, that's part of the goal of having conversations like this. Even the root word when I decided upon shelter, the word connected to the podcast was actually more deeply connected to the word sanctuary, Mm -hmm. which is a word that's become highly politicized and bastardized because of everything that's been going on. Like sanctuary cities and so on and so forth, right? In many cases, it's either someone not being heard because they're being judged based upon a social stigma and they're dismissed and how to be more empathetic and how to try to share those stories in a way that people might be more willing to listen if they just hear how it's affecting a person yeah and this is really this is really important and i think this is a really important time in our history and i'm so moved that you can't i mean we talk anyways but that you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, you were so moved that you contacted me. <laughs> but I'm so Wait, I've never met you before. I know. Right? I, who are you, Erin? <laughs> but I was so moved that you were like, I think you should talk about this story. First of all, it was beyond validating that this was real. But what you're doing is really important. And we're finally getting people to get their voice out. The whole Me Too movement, there's some seriously wrong things with our country and with our world, and this is how it starts. Yes, I agree with all of those things, but I think, too, for me, in in thinking about you and everything that has happened, coming through the other side of it, that you really have persevered. I (laughs) wanted to be respectful of the history of it because I know that it's very vulnerable to share things that are this intimate, but... You've done it in such a humble and... Well, I don't... Well, I appreciate... That's very sweet of you to say. It's also... I, I'm applying for a lot of grants and fellowships to be able to advocate for more people when it comes to healthcare needs. I'm very lucky to have experienced this, I think, and I will be damned if this continues happening. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about your own art in relation to this, like we were talking earlier about, like, I... Recently saw this panel with Latoya Ruby Frazier, yeah, who amazing. I think is an amazing artist in terms of artist advocacy, but in a way that serves many purposes in terms of the beauty of the work you know, mm-hmm. aesthetically and the power it has and the people it brings together. So I think that you have, in terms of your work and seeing how it's evolved, mm-hmm. you know, over the past a number of years, yeah, <laughs> using it as a way to grapple with what you were experiencing yeah I was kind of like gleaning from my experiences and talking about the human condition and I still do I mean like thinking about hip replacement in your body I'm like Frankenstein or you're a bionic woman yeah I'm like a bionic woman (laughs) yeah my comic right there yeah classic bionic woman and how what it means to have a new age body and what Mm -hmm. it means to to have things that fail and what it means to have things that regenerate. and Maybe it's like thinking about the cracked screen of your laptop, you know? <laughs> like there's certain things you're like, okay, this is what I have to work with. And you're, and you're told that you just... Don't do- tell my boss for graphic design that I have a cracked screen. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> don't send them this link. You know, I was talking with someone about photography and the equipment that you have and yeah. like the camera body you have. And ultimately you can have the best, the most amazing tools, but it's, it doesn't it's, matter. Right. Because it's about how you use them and you have to have yeah. you know, something else that you have. And I think that that comes from a different place. Yeah. I've been given some different tools. Yeah. It's not any less or better. It's just different. And that's the conversation that I think is important. Mm-hmm. 
to have. Yeah, you have a really powerful voice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That means more than you have any idea to me to hear that. Mm. Yeah. You're a gem. Shelter is proudly and independently produced in New York City. This interview was recorded in February 2018 with Emily Sarah and her puppy Olive in Richmond, Virginia. Our music was contributed by Pascal Trummel. Find more information at erinsweeneystudio.com slash shelter, including links related to our conversation and the Affordable Care Act. Since recording our interview, I wanted to add that Emily has been awarded a grant by Virginia Commonwealth University in support of her continuing healthcare advocacy work. And in the reference links on the shelter page, you can also learn more about grant opportunities through the Women's Center for Creative Work. If you have questions or things you'd like to hear more about, I'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Olive is asleep, by the way. Olive is dead asleep. She did great. <laughs> she tooted in there one time, but <laughs> hopefully they didn't catch that.